You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. Obviously, you can tell by now we're starting a brand new series entitled Forget Yourself. Now, most of the time when you come to a brand new year, people often say to them, listen, remember yourself. Remember yourself and you need to lose weight. Remember yourself and you need to eat healthy. Remember yourself and you need to save some money. I want to give you one New Year's resolution. That's this. Forget yourself and live to an audience of one. It's hard to believe, but it's been about 30 years since Michael Jordan retired from basketball. In fact, they wrote an article about him, and they asked this simple question, is it possible that the NBA is going to survive Michael Jordan's retirement? And then one writer said this, listen, new faces will come and will go, and eventually there will be a day we ask this question, Michael who? The greater question, he says, is not can the NBA survive Michael Jordan's retirement. The greater question is this, can Michael Jordan survive? Because when people live for the approval of others, when they live for an audience that has all sorts of applause and all sorts of accolades, when all of a sudden the audience and the applause goes away, it's a very deafening thing. It's possible, isn't it, to so live for the applause of people that when the applause ends, You and I feel hollow and empty in our lives. I want you to think about it in the background of the portion of Scripture we want to take a look at today that comes from Matthew chapter 1. As Jesus begins this portion of Scripture, he starts with these words, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus is addressing the subject of approval addiction. This idea that somehow we're addicted to the approval of other people around us. We have this disease to please. And eventually, he says, it moves over into the spiritual realm until you begin to pray, until you begin to give, until you begin to fast, not for an audience of one, but you do it for the people around you. And Jesus wants to warn us today that in the spiritual life, that is a very dangerous thing. So I'm going to talk today about this idea of approval addiction, and I want to do so by asking this portion of Scripture several questions. First of all, the question is this, what is approval addiction? There's actually a man by the name of Mitch Prinstein who wrote a book entitled Popular. And he actually says when we get to our high school years, there is sort of this chemical released in the brain that makes being popular the most important thing in the world to us. He actually says it lives with us into adulthood, but you and I learn to adjust it a little bit. But when we come to our teen years, the most important thing for us is how popular are we? He says, if you don't believe me, I followed a girl by the name of Alexandria Court. She was tall, she was beautiful, she was self-assured. In fact, she was voted by every single person in her class to be the most popular girl in all of our school. And then he said they did another vote. And they asked this question, who is the most disliked person in all of our school? Guess who won that one too? Yeah, Alexandria Corr. 
Because they said there was nothing that was actually likable about her, though she had all of the characteristics of status. She had money, she had beauty, she had power. There was no likability in her. He said, for every single one of us, we ought to move in popularity toward this idea of likability where actually we talk not about ourselves, we talk about other people. We actually promote not ourselves, but we promote other people and we live in a way that promotes others. People, can I remind you this morning that approval addiction is sort of a fleeting thing? It's a thing in all honesty that you can never get a hold of. It's sort of like a bucket in a hole that we constantly are trying to fill, but it never seems to be satiated in our lives. And when you struggle with approval addiction, all the people around you have to constantly sort of prop you up. You're saying, in effect, is what I said good enough? Is what I do good enough? Is how I look good enough? By the way, how's this sermon going so far, and how do you feel about the way I dressed this morning? (laughs) Because the reality is, approval addiction is something that we all struggle with, isn't it? Princeton said when social media came on the scene, it was almost like a drug for some people that struggle with approval addiction. Now all of a sudden, every single life set off an amount of dopamine in our brains that sort of pushed us in that direction. He actually said to this very day, there are 16,000 tutorials on YouTube as to how to take a selfie. That's how much in our society and our world today we struggle with this idea of approval addiction. This disease somehow to please people of this world. So here's the second question I want to ask is this. You got to ask yourself, especially when it comes to the spiritual realm, who am I doing this for? I mean, really, who am I doing it for? Because it's possible as we walk through Matthew chapter 6 together, you're going to say, okay, I got to give more, I got to pray more, I got to fast more. But the ultimate is this, what motivates me? Who am I doing this for? And if you're doing it somehow to impress the people around you, Jesus is going to go on to say, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to introduce what some commentators call the kingdom law of compensation. How's the kingdom law of compensation works? It works the very same way the law of compensation works in businesses, and that's this. Let's suppose for a moment you put 40 hours a week in working for Target. When it came to payday, if you went to Walmart and said, where is my paycheck, that would make no sense, would it? Because you didn't work for Walmart, you worked for Target. If you're a salesman for Pepsi and you're setting all sorts of new records, when it came time to sort of collect your paycheck, you went to Coke and said, where's my paycheck, it would make absolutely no sense, would it? You didn't work for Coke, you worked for Pepsi. Jesus is saying, in the kingdom law of compensation, I want you to recognize you're paid by the person that you work for. And if the reason that you do spiritual things, the reason that you pray, the reason that you fast, the reason that you give is so that you would get the accolades of a pastor, of the elders, of your spouse, of people around you, then recognize when they give you a pat on the back, when they say, boy," recognize that was payday. Recognize you were working for them and you were not working for the Father. Jesus, as he walks through Matthew chapter 6, is going to say to us, listen, you can give. But I want you to know if you're concerned about the fact that your wife is going to say, you're a pretty stingy giver. If your kids are going to say, Dad, can't you do more than that? 
If you're worried about what people's opinion are, you're going to have no reward. But he said, if you're worried about somehow the love of the Father being evidenced in your life, and you're just simply giving out of love for what he's done for you, then the scripture says, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. People are the reason you pray in a restaurant so that somebody's going to stand up and say, what a great dad, what a great mom you are, what a beautiful prayer you just gave. If that's why you pray, then recognize when you get that reward, that's payday. But you pray because you want to communicate with the Father, you want to remind him of how much you love him, then the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now here's the third question I'm going to ask in this, and that's simply this. What's the alternative to approval addiction? What's the alternative? We talked about it a little already, and it's this. you got to live for an audience of one. I've got to make a decision in my mind, especially with regards to spiritual things. I don't care what the world out there says. I'm going to fix and focus my eyes, and I'm going to live to please God and to live to please him alone. Soren Kierkegaard is the first person that came up with this phrase, to live for an audience of one. And he says, listen, I recognize every single one of us lives for the approval. We just do. And since the time we were little babies, and I see this in my own grandchildren, when they do something, we plot for them, and they do it all the more because they're looking for the approval of people around them. But he says, now you got to begin to ask yourself this question. If you have this infinite amount of need for approval in your life, wouldn't it be better you put that need in the hands of one who is infinitely able to give to you? Wouldn't it be wise you put that in the hands of God and God alone? Because hear me on this, you cannot live for the approval of people and the approval of God at the same time. You just simply can't do it. The apostle Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter 1 when he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. John, who was rather critical of a group of people, says, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And then Paul, again, speaking to the church in Corinth, says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Now, I want to take that phrase for a minute, I care very little. Because that's an incredibly freeing statement, isn't it? Is it possible together as a congregation, we could just use those words, I don't care. Can you say them with me for a moment? I don't care. So the next time the fashion police comes up to you and says, I don't like what you're wearing, you would say, I don't care. The next time the interior design police come over to your house and they don't like the way you decorated your kitchen, you just simply say, I don't care. The next time the police pull you over because they don't like how you're driving, you say, yeah, maybe you better care a little bit about that. But the idea is this, when you and I, like the Apostle Paul, say, listen, I care very little. I really don't care. We're saying, in all honesty, I live for an audience of one, and you are not the one. C.S. Lewis, when he talked about the rewards of God in the Christian life, he talked about both intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. Intrinsic rewards are those that are motivated from wind. They're often connected by the very things that we're doing. Extrinsic reward come from the outside, and they're often not connected to the very thing that we're doing. Let's just see for a moment if I could test you, see if you know the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic. If you married somebody because they're rich, 
Is that an intrinsic or extrinsic motivation? Extrinsic, right? You're worrying me a little bit here. If you married somebody because you love them, is that intrinsic or extrinsic motivation? Intrinsic, right. If you work hard at schoolwork because you want to raise your GPA so that you can impress other people, is that an intrinsic or extrinsic motivation? Extrinsic, right? If you study real hard because you have a love for learning, is that an intrinsic or extrinsic motivation? Intrinsic, right? If you buy a home on the coast of Florida, right overlooking the ocean, you do so in order to impress the people around you, is that intrinsic or extrinsically motivated? Extrinsically. If you allow your pastor to use that home on a regular basis, is that intrinsic? That's intrinsic. That's a very good thing. Do that. But all throughout Scripture, Jesus said, I want to know what the motivation of your heart is. It's not just that you do spiritual things. I want to know what moves you. I want to know what motivates you. I want to know it's for the applause of people around you, some extrinsic reasons, or I want to know if you're motivated by a heart that's been yielded and devoted to me. And then fourthly, I'd ask this question, why are you doing what you're doing? Isn't it good every now and then, especially in the spiritual life, to just pause and ask yourself that question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because as we go through this series in Matthew chapter 6, it's possible you're going to say, okay, I need to give more, I need to serve more, I need to fast more, I need to do more. But you're not going to have the right motivation. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he comes to an end, he said, listen, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. In other words, you did it for the wrong motivation. You did it for the wrong reasons. You didn't do it for me. You did it to impress the people around you, and you received your reward in full. But when you and I do in secret, the Father sees what is done in secret, and he rewards us. So I think it's critical just for a moment. You and I examine our own hearts. Do sort of a motivation test, don't you think? Answer these questions with me sincerely and honestly, just to yourself. You don't have to tell anybody around you, but just in your own mind. Sort of a secrecy test, if you would. And the first question is just simply this. How much would you give if only you and God knew? How much would you give? If there was no record of your giving, if your wife didn't see, your children see, nobody around you knew what you gave, how much would you give if only God saw? How much would you pray if only God knew? Your wife didn't see you gathering together to have a quiet time. Your accountability partner wasn't pushing and spurring you on. How much, if only you and God knew about it, would you spend time in prayer? How much would you fast if only God knew about it? It was a real issue with the scribes and the Pharisees here in Matthew chapter 6 often what they'd like to do is put on this outward performance appearance. They would make sure that when they fasted, they didn't wash their face, they didn't comb their hair, they would make sure they didn't launder their robes because they wanted everybody to know that they were fasting. And they'd look around like death warmed over and they'd say, in effect, there's Matt, looks like he's been dragged behind a pickup truck. He must be fasting. What an incredibly spiritual guy. 
And all of the time they were doing it for the applause, they were doing it for the accolades of the people around them rather than for an audience of one. The next question I want to ask is just simply this. Are you more concerned with people's opinion rather than the opinion of God? Are you more concerned with the people around you and their opinion of you, especially your spiritual life, than you are with God's opinion about you? Now, I recognize every single one of us probably walks to some degree toward Christianity in a people-pleasing fashion. I recognize that. Some of us came to church because our parents made us come to church. Some of us came to church because we were dating a girl or a guy that went to church and they brought us along. But eventually in that time together, you've got to have some sort of an encounter with God that changes your motivation. I was born and raised in a Christian home. There's some tremendous advantages in that, but there's also a shadow side to that, isn't there? Hey, Jeff, come to church, be a good boy. Hey, Jeff, read your Bible, be a good boy. Hey, Jeff, pray, be a good boy. And you can please the people around you. Eventually, the scripture reminds us that God has to take residence in your heart so much that he begins to change the very motivation that you have, that you and I are no longer extrinsically motivated by the people pleasing around us, but you and I make a decision, God, here's why I do this. I do it because you first loved me, enabling me to be able to love you, and now out of a love relationship, intrinsically motivated by the very heart that you have changed, I now serve you. Then sixthly, and here's the final question I want to ask, and that's this, what's the antidote to approval addiction? Let's just suppose for a moment some of you struggle with this. And you say to yourself, well, then how do I get out of this? It's not by trying hard. It's not by pulling yourself up from your bootstraps. Somehow you need the help of the Father to be able to do so. I'm convinced there are two needs that all of us have in life. Number one is the need to be accepted. And number two is the need to be a part of a community, somebody that can sort of spur us on. And the problem often is this. Often we get the accolades of people when we do outward righteousness. It's the very thing the scribes and the Pharisees were getting, but they had no community. They were not fully known. And because they were not fully known and nobody was around them, they would simply put on these false notions of spiritual maturity and nobody was checking up on them and they lived a false a life that lacked integrity. People, the scripture would remind us of this. In Genesis chapter 2, describing Adam and Eve, that they were both naked, and they actually felt no shame. It certainly refers to the fact that physically they didn't have clothes on, but it refers to more than that. It refers to the fact that they were spiritually and emotionally naked, and they felt no shame. As we embark on the year 2023, here's what you desire more than anything else. I know it to be true of you because it's true of me. We want to be fully known and fully loved, don't we? I want to be fully known. I want you to know everything about me, warts and failings and all, but the reason I don't sort of let that out is I'm very fearful of the fact that if you really knew me, you wouldn't really love me. We all struggle with the same thing. They were both naked and they felt no shame. They were able to come clean about everything in their lives, and somehow in the midst of that, they were accepted and loved in the community. If you ever been to an AA meeting before, they tell me they open up the meeting by somebody standing up and saying, hi, I'm Dan, and I'm an alcoholic. 
And what do people say back to them? Hi, Dan. In other words, this is a place of love. This is a place of acceptance. When you're willing to become vulnerable, when you're willing to come clean, I want you to know we're going to reward integrity. So, Dan, just be free to tell us what's going on in your own life because I want you to know you're going to be loved. I'm convinced it's the very thing all of us are longing for to somehow have this congruency between who we appear on the outside and who we actually are to be able to somehow come clean, to be fully known and fully loved. If you want to do that, I think it's going to take two disciplines. The first discipline, I think, is the discipline of secrecy. It's the discipline of secrecy. Jesus is going to say, listen, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And listen to me, it's ultimately what every single one of us is longing for. You're not longing for the fickle approval of man because it comes and it goes as the applause of every single audience does. But what you're looking for ultimately is the approval and the acceptance and the applause of the one and only the Father who loves you deeply. So is it possible that this week to come you could practice the discipline of secrecy? Maybe there's somebody you need to write a note of encouragement to, write it but never sign it. Maybe your neighbor as the snow falls this week needs his walk to be shoveled or his driveway to be shoveled, do it and don't ever tell him. Is there some sort of an act of secrecy, an act of kindness, an act of love that you can do and tell no. Now, at first, it's going to feel real funny, but I've got to say something. I've got to let them know. But I think the more you and I are willing to do our acts of righteousness, our acts of kindness and secrecy, the more the Father who sees what is done in secret rewards us, and his reward, I think, will greatly nourish our very souls. Is it possible this week you could develop inside of you the discipline of secrecy? The second thing, though, I think we need in order to make sure that you and I are fully known and fully loved is we need a community around us. Every single one of us needs the discipline of community. Laurie talked about it as we gather together today. Listen, this is critical that you and I find some sort of community of brothers and sisters in Christ that can come around us. I brought along with me a volleyball today. It's actually a very famous volleyball. Any of you remember this? Yeah, his name happens to be Wilson. It's a part of the movie Castaway. Do you remember Tom Hanks actually had his plane downed and he made his way to a deserted island? And eventually he found this volleyball and with his own blood, he put his handprint on it, he drew a face on it, eventually he gave it some hair and they developed community together. Tom somehow, in order to keep himself sane because there's nobody else who would talk to Wilson, got to know Wilson, fell in love with Wilson. Until eventually the day comes when Tom Hanks builds a raft And do you remember he's trying to somehow get into the shipping lanes where eventually a ship is going to find him? Onto that raft, he actually takes his best buddy, Wilson. Do you remember that? And eventually this wave comes and it hits Wilson off the raft. And now Tom's got to jump into the water. He's got to try to rescue Wilson until eventually they come to this point in the movie when you recognize Wilson is never coming back. I remember as a grown man crying and thinking to myself, I'm crying over a lost volleyball. Are you kidding me? But it wasn't the volleyball, was it? It was the connection that took place in this pseudo community 
Because there's a longing of every single heart and longing of every single soul to somehow be connected with brothers and sisters in Christ. The analogy is clear. All of us are sort of on this raft, and eventually we are drifting farther and farther away from God. But Jesus eventually jumped into the water, swam to us in order to rescue us. But here's the reality. He never made it back to the raft. He actually died in our place on the cross of Calvary. Because he loved us that much and he wanted to enter into community with us. So today as you embark upon this new year, is it possible you could begin to practice the discipline of secrecy to do things in private where nobody knows and you receive the reward of your heavenly father? Is it possible you could practice the discipline of community saying, listen, this is what I need more than anything else in order to hold me accountable, in order to spur me on. I need other people in my life. As we start the year 2023 together, could you say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my commitment today. I'm going to forget myself. And I'm going to live to an audience of one and an audience of one alone. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.